Hello and welcome to The Pulse. Well, we're approaching the finish line in the decision over how the chief executive will be elected and perhaps more fundamentally how constitutional reform will develop. The LegCo motion for what the government calls the reforms will be tabled on Wednesday. Meanwhile, the battle of the opinion polls has reached a new level of intensity as results come in fast and furious. In the early hours of Monday, banners bearing the message say no to fake universal suffrage began appearing around Hong Kong. They mention no particular political group, but there is speculation that the banners were created by a group of civil servants disturbed by the lack of impartiality of senior government officials. Meanwhile, preparations are underway for protests next week, both for and against reforms. The political reform bill is due to be tabled on Wednesday. With public support and opposition practically neck and neck, even government officials have admitted the chances of passing the bill are slim, but they've been going through the motions of trying to persuade pan-democratic lawmakers. Meetings between Chief Secretary Carrie Lam and pan-democrat legislators have got nowhere. Civil society organizations continue to lobby the public, but have sometimes been facing undue attention from police. At a booth in Fan Leng, Scholarism member Prince Wong was faced by anti-triad officers who wanted the ID card numbers of everyone involved. The police say it's normal procedure to record organizers' identities when activities take place in a public area. Meanwhile this week, the Our Hong Kong Foundation, founded by former chief executive Tung Chi Wa, put out a TV commercial encouraging people to pocket it first. It also produced a series of videos inviting some 150 people from all walks of life to share their views on Hong Kong. The participants in these videos may not reflect all public views, but Chong Chang Yao, the former executive director of Oxfam, does appear in one of the videos saying he doesn't support the bill. <laughs> Civic Party legislator Ronnie Tong is looking ahead. He launched his new think tank, Path of Democracy, last Sunday, which he hopes can smooth relations between Hong Kong and mainland politicians. I think Tang, I think, would provide us with a more flexible uh, attitude towards all sides. Uh, and also, it would not make the people we want to interact with or engage feel too much uncomfortable because we're not a outright political party and uh, we're trying to forge a middle-of-the-road uh, uh, position uh, and hopefully uh, that position will enable us to both to be able to talk to the Beijing side, the pro-government side, as well as the pandemicrats. Also, we need to talk to people in the street. With days to go before the vote, most polls continue to suggest that public opinion remains divided. This week's results from the Joint University Rolling Poll suggests for the first time that more people oppose it, 43%, against 41.7% in support. An architectural surveying and planning constituency poll tilts slightly in favour of the reforms. The Hong Kong Medical Association's poll has a small margin in favour of opposing the bill.
Meanwhile, Tung Chiwa's foundation finds, perhaps not surprisingly, that more people support it. But much depends on how issues are framed. Well, with us in the studio is Michael de Gaulier, director of the Hong Kong Transition Project. As we said there, a lot does depend on how you ask the questions. Now, Michael de Gaulier, you've been asking questions in Hong Kong for a, for a very time. long time. <laughs> That's right, yes. Um, and you've seen the confusion in the polls. Mm. Is, that the crucial, is that the crucial matter, what questions are asked? Yes, and this is one of the problems, I think, in Hong Kong surveying and polling as a whole, is that there's less time taken on crafting the, the questionnaire, the instrument. Um, and pre-testing it and so forth, then there isn't just simply running the poll and getting the results out. Um, and the other thing is that usually uh, people who do surveys, because there is a, a time-cost relationship, uh, try to ask just one question when you really should have a couple of questions or three questions asked in slightly different ways. Uh, they get at different aspects. You mean different ways, but basically yeah. directed towards the same matter. For, for example, the, one of the polls is asking, do you support or oppose the package? And then another is asking, do you want LegCo to vote for or against it? Now, those are related questions, but they're not the same question, not even close to the same, because people may be against the package, but basically looking at the uh, overall outcome, they're worried and they want it to be passed, even though they don't like it. Uh, and that certainly would reflect a percentage of the, of the, of the poll that doesn't show up there. Uh, but it looks, though, either way you ask the question, what we have is a pretty evenly divided, rather polarized uh, Hong Kong uh, society. And that, I think, is clear from either way you run your, your question, either way you ask it. I mean, there's a lot of polls going around at the moment, as you know, uh, uh, and some of them come from people with a very distinct political stake mm. in the game. Do you regard those polls as propaganda or, or would you say they're genuinely part of the well, even, data collection? Even, even the, the ones that phrase it as, as positively as they can are showing less than 50%. Okay, so again, the, the fact is I think all the polls show that we were pretty evenly divided on this on the eve of the vote. Okay, and I think, and I've been saying for some weeks that I expect that on the day of the vote, it'll be uh, just a couple of points more in favor of vetoing it uh, than in passing it. And the, the, the project that you've been involved in over a very long term, the transition project, the, the, the last thing I looked at from you shows an overall uh, impression that Hong Kong is getting distant, more distant from the mainland. People are increasingly unhappy with governance here. I, is that a fair summary of what you found? Uh, particularly for people under age 40. And a lot of it has to do with the experience they have had since 1997, which is very different from the older generation. Uh, we have to realize that uh, people under about uh, age 35 uh, who have been in the workforce now uh, since the year 2000, according to the census data, this is not polling data, this is census data, uh, have actually seen a drop of somewhere between 10 to 11 or 12 percent uh, in their pay in real terms. Uh, over the last uh, 10 to 20 years. Uh, also, what we have is, with an aging society, the burden of supporting uh, older folks is increasingly falling on about, about half the younger people uh, who give a substantial portion of their uh, incomes to their parents or grandparents, in some cases, great-grandparents, because you know Hong Kong has the world's longest-lived population. Uh, and also, we have some of the poorest provisioning for, for older uh, retirees. Uh, so this sense of, of uh, uh, loss of opportunity, of pressure, 
of not being able to afford a house, not being able to afford to get married, not being able to afford to have a child, uh, being forced into increasingly tiny quarters, having pay cuts. Uh, people under age 35 are pretty surly. <laughs> but all, all of that makes sense. What I'm, I'm really wondering is how confident are you mm. that polling accurately reflects that mood? Uh, polling and, and the census. I mean, once you look at the census is the most complete objective kind of data you can get. You're talking about the official government census. The official census. government census, sure. Uh, and once you start digging into the, 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 the surveys and the census data, uh, we've got a pretty strong mandate to, to really uh, address some of these issues. And I think uh, you could even see it in the policy address that, that uh, C.Y. Lund came out with. Uh, talking about these things and uh, you know the entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurship uh, funding and various things like that uh, they're trying to address these things uh, so that I think that objectively shows there really is a problem and we do have a problem uh, and since we have joined China these folks experience under age 40 has been uh, increasingly grim and and stressful and distressing and they are losing hope in, in, for, for change, and they, that's why they're demanding change. I mean, they're desperate for it. Well, Michael DeGallo, thank you very much indeed, and we'll be back after the break. Welcome back. The government says, pocket it first. The message from the central government seems to be something to the effect of, whatever you do now, you're stuck with it. So what's next after the vote next week in LegCo? With us in the studio are Regina Ip, Executive Councillor and Leader of the New People's Party, and the Leader of the Democratic Party, Emily Lau. Regina can I come to you? What is next? I think the government will want to put aside political arguments um, for a while at least, uh, because we really need to get on with tackling a lot of the uh, problems facing our society, land what housing. Was, what was stopping the government doing that before the vote? Because, you know, you can, you can tell the Chief Secretary Kerry is wholly preoccupied with constitutional reform. As we can see, she has lost weight. She's actually, I think, quite emotionally and physically drained because I see her quite often, you know, the, the poor lady. And is that because uh, she's doing all the work and the chief executive isn't? Or I, I can't happening? comment on that, but the CE election issue, definitely taking up a lot of her time, the, the Secretary for Justice time, Raymond Tam has been dealing with that, you know. There are other human rights issues to tackle. So I think, for example, the population policy uh, report is really quite thin, you know. They, the CS can't possibly have the energies to really uh, tackle in depth these other very important issues. Isn't that why you have other policy secretaries dealing with those but other things? But you see, subjects like population policy, you need inter-bureau coordination. You really need a strong, higher hand to coordinate. Well, let me ask Emily Lau, do you see any problem with that? Government's going to get on with social and economic issues. Well, I think there are many problems facing Hong Kong, and we have to deal with all of them. And I don't want anybody to think that after LegCo uh, votes down the uh, political package, uh, then we will not talk about it maybe for five, ten years. No way. People would expect us to look ahead and try to secure universal suffrage for them and their families as soon as possible. But of course I also agree that there are other pro problems, uh, economic issues, social issues facing Hong Kong, 
Now we are ranked below Shenzhen. <laughs> I said, if we are not lucky, very soon we may rank below Macau. Mm. So th there's a lot of catching up to do. Uh, and I think it's not just Carrie Lam. And she is not super bionic woman. Yeah. How can you expect one woman to carry the whole government? It's what, unfair. It's really what unfair. What the government yeah. here of CY Leung has failed to do is to work with LegCo, whether it's the pro-Beijing camp or the pro-democracy camp, uh, over housing issues, medical issues, uh, education. They should work with us. And I have confidence that many of my colleagues can make compromises, find a consensus, and go forward. But the way CY Leung behaved all these years is he acted as if what Zheng Yutong said yesterday. We are completely transparent. He didn't care about us. I have heard from pro-Beijing LegCo members saying administration went to them with something. And they look, oh, really? How can we support this? Say, no, you have to go and vote for it. That's the way he treats them. Well, Regina, well, my you party, my party certainly doesn't take orders from anybody like that, you know. But he does but, give but, orders, isn't well, it? Well, um, we don't have to. We, we still have to assess every request from the government independently. But I agree with Emily. The leader, the, the leader of the executive branch uh, should be able to work with the legislature. The legislature is a very important part of the governance of But Hong I suppose Kong. the problem is mm. that things are polarized. I don't yeah. think anybody uh, would dispute that. Mm. And everything is seen through a political prism. Mm. So I wonder how realistic it is, really, mm. to expect for the last two years of the current chief executive's tenure, mm. he, he will be able to work with LegCo. Work, the, uh, building a working relationship between the executive branch and LegCo is a two-way street. You know, if some of my colleagues in LegCo uh, continue to see everything through a political prism, as you say, and adopt a non-cooperation stance on every public works project, you know, the, be it the bridge, you know, the the border control point or the high-speed rail, it's boundary, you know, you know, we're part of the same country, so yeah. it's not a border. Yeah. Well, whatever. But whatever. You know, uh, <laughs> let's leave semantics out of the <laughs> way. It's not semantic. Yeah. It's yeah. very, very important. But, but the yeah. point that yeah. um, Regina is making, yeah, I think, is, is, I'll put it more bluntly no. than she has, is no. that you're not prepared to no. be cooperative. We are very prepared to talk to the administration, whether it's about the bridge or whether it's about education system, about health care. We are very prepared to talk to them. And, but they have to be prepared to listen. Mm. and to be accommodating. Mm. And uh, I think most of the pro-democracy legislators are willing to talk. If you talk about a few, okay, you know, they're not part of our group. There are people that you have to deal with too, isn't it? They are elected by the Hong Kong people. So you cannot use that as an excuse to say, oh, because there are several a few of you, then we don't talk to anybody. I think it's crazy. So we are prepared to talk. We're even prepared to talk to Beijing. Unfortunately, nobody in Hong Kong and Beijing want to talk to us. No, so that's no. why we are stuck. They, they want to talk to you. You know, they they want to talk to you. They they have the. They have know. not talked to me f since we supported the uh, Wu Chi Wai package in 2010. Um, you see, they they are willing. You know, last year, you know, last summer there have been a lot of overtures. But uh, you know, the Just Beijing's, Beijing's preference is to talk to each party. Um, separately you know and um and they were pretty disappointed that 
you refused to go to a liaison office, whereas you were prepared to go to maybe the British consulate or the U.S. consulate. I don't know whether that happened. I don't know whether that's happened. Maybe you can tell us. But, but can Is that ask, true? Can Is that I, true? But can I ask you? I mean, the the <laughs> meeting, the last meeting <laughs> with with Democrats, which um, Emily wasn't present at yeah. in Shenzhen. I've mm. spoken to participants in that. They said that was a purely one-way dialogue. Um, I wasn't in the closed-door meeting. Um, the open meeting, uh, in, in hindsight, really should be televised live so that everybody could see Beijing, where they were coming from, their concerns, their worries, you know, their principles and position. The real dialogue should take place in the closed-door part. But, but that apparently there. was really not well, a dialogue. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what I heard is there was no meeting of minds. Mm. But it doesn't mean that either side did not have a chance to state their positions. I think Beijing's um, uh, strategy was to seize that opportunity to make it quite clear to the pandemics. If you are looking for last-ditch dramatic about turn, it won't happen this time. They have to dispel this sort of expectation so that there could be a meeting of the minds. You know. It's not a question of mm. last minute mm. about turn. It's a question of Beijing mm. respecting the wishes and demands of the people who want to have a genuine election where there is genuine choice. To be fair, you can't call it a non-genuine election only because certain um, people are excluded. Are they, they think they would be excluded, you know. Do you not think so too? Well, WK Lamb admitted that we would all the, be excluded. He said we can only be kingmakers, never. The, maybe the first term, but in future, you know, uh, when you have five million people being able to cast the votes, in due course the nominating committee is, uh, they are bound to listen to the people. But would it be so difficult for the central authorities to say that mm. at this stage? Mm to say we will open up the nomination process. I mean, you're saying that will happen. Yeah. Why don't they say that, if that will happen? I think they have said so in some... Can't um, say that I've heard it. ...roundabout no. way, you know, <laughs> that um, um, every system is open uh, to review and revision. After a while, after it's been implemented, our own Law Reform Commission only reviewed laws which have been in place for a while and after consultation introduce more changes. Uh, Beijing, I think, is perfectly happy with that approach, but they don't want to be bound to, they don't want to commit to agreeing. We'll definitely change five years from now. You have to give the new system a chance Regina, to be tested. Regina, if yeah. Beijing decides to give us a genuine mm. direct election of mm. the chief executive, would you oppose it? Well, your epithet of a non-genuine election is, um, not a, uh, uh, um, um, an, an argument which holds water because what is universal suffrage? Universal suffrage, by definition, is a universal, one person, and, one vote. universal <laughs> and equal right to vote, which Beijing is giving to us. But not the Quite, right to stand. Well, which country gives everyone a universal, equal right to stand? Well, UK, certainly. Not UK, oh, not UK, they do. not US. Actually, they do. Actually, they Civic do. Balance. I've, I've heard first, you say this yeah. many times. First, but even somebody as humble as me yes, could stand. Everyone can stand, but I'm talking about nomination. No, 
it's for the, par the parties to nominate. No, no, that's not true. Mm. That's just not true. I know mm. you keep saying you, this, but it's but not true. In reality, you, you can't get. In nominated. reality, you can't get yeah. elected. But well, you in could Hong stand. Kong, also. Everyone can oh, get nominated. Yeah. Everyone can, can try. Under that system, how can everyone well, be nominated? I don't think people should prejudge that system. After all, the nominating system in uh, the April 22nd um, um, formula is more liberal than expected because uh, the nominating committee will have a maximum of 12,000 votes. Each nominating committee, including you and me, will have to cast two to n votes, two to a maximum of ten votes, which means by secret ballot, secret ballot, <laughs> you know. Well. So, which really opens up the possibility. I'm, I'm sorry to cut this short mm. because I think we're all agreed that that's yeah. not going to go through LegCo mm. yeah. next Wednesday right. anyway. But yeah. thank you very much mm. indeed. And I'm afraid that's all we have time for this week. We'll see you at the same time, same place next week. Goodbye.